What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, B-Date, back with another podcast episode, another Talking Hoops with B-Date. Today, uh, as of recording, it is 2-22-2022 on a Tuesday. Uh, so big up to yourselves for uh, seeing this day, you know, a lot of angel numbers in there. Shout out to uh, everyone who's listening right now i appreciate the support of course as always um one thing i wanted to touch on in this um episode is gonna be the storylines i'm most looking forward to to finish out this uh final stretch in the nba regular season i was gonna call it the second half but this year there's been so many games played before the all-star break i don't think any team has more than 25 games remaining uh, so it'd be wrong to call it the second half and just more say the home stretch of the season. I'm going to touch on two storylines from the Western Conference that I, I, I like to see or I'm interested in, as well as two from the East. We'll keep it short and sweet. But before that, I do want to talk about the All-Star Weekend that uh, we just had um, and, and some of the things that I liked and some of the things that I didn't like. All right, so as for All-Star Weekend, I just want to get the negative out of the way first because we all know what it was. Um, that dunk contest was poor. It was, it was, it was probably one of the worst I've seen um, in, a, in a long, long time. It, ever feels like a stretch. Obviously, I haven't watched every single dunk contest ever, but definitely within the last 10 years, that, that's amongst one of the worst that I've seen. Partially, I think it's the fact that the dunk contest has kind of, due to social media, due to time in terms of like how long the league has been around, it it almost feels like it's being kind of phased out because what new dunk can you truly do now that hasn't been done already? And if you do something that has been done already, what are the odds you're going to do it um, better than anyone else we've seen? So take, for instance, like, I don't know, someone reverse windmill and like Vince Carter did in in 2000 or 2001, whatever year that was. Who's to say that one of these athletes couldn't do that now, but are you going to have the same, the same wow effect to the crowd that Vince did back then? Because it was like, oh man, we had never seen that. Oh man, the, the stage was set brighter. Vince Carter was a great player. And seeing a great player do that sort of thing is a little different than seeing an eighth man in a rotation do that sort of thing. You understand what I'm saying? So it, it almost feels like I don't want to say we need to get rid of it because that might be a stretch too far in terms of, you know, trying to eliminate the things that could that could honestly change someone's life. You know, that you win a dunk contest, you could brand yourself very differently than if, you know, you're only an eighth man in a rotation. You understand what I'm saying? But at the same token, it definitely doesn't need to be the headlining event of Saturday night anymore. You know, I, I've thought this for a couple years. Um, once Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine kind of stopped doing it and putting on the shows that they put on, there was there was no point in there was no point in in that uh, being the main event. You know, you look at the three point shooting contest, which I thought was great. I love the wrinkle they added a few years ago with the Mountain Dew Zone. Um, you know, Steph Curry, Trey Young, Damian Lillard, these guys shoot threes from so far. They're like, let's put that in our three-point contest and let's see 
the the different mechanics let's see the different type of strategy you have to shoot with those balls as opposed to shooting your normal rack let's see what shooters like the ball on the left side of their body what shooters like the ball on the right side of their body where do you put your money balls you know how what type of pace do you try and keep do you try and go quick at the beginning so you as you get tired you have more time or do you try and just kind of have one pace through the whole thing you know i think there's so much more strategic uh, nuance there's so much more you know, little things that can make a big difference in a contest like that as opposed to a dunk contest. And I think it's why it does well every year, you know. You also can factor in, it's not like taboo now to 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 do three-point contests like it seems to be with the dunk. None of the best players want to do the dunk contest. But we had multiple all-stars do the three-point contest, and we have multiple all-stars do it every year. You had Zach Levine, you had Trey. You had uh, Fred Van Vliet. You had Cat, who ended up winning it. All those guys are all-stars. Um, if I'm missing anyone off the top of my head, forgive me. Um, but you had guys who are known in the league, play at the highest level in the league, wanting to participate in that contest. There's already going to be more of an excitement because people know that face. People know that jersey. You know what I mean? So... Kudos to the NBA for, uh, you know, the three-point shooting contest still being what it is. That probably needs to be the headliner moving forward, in my opinion. Um, but I also want to shout out the things they did on the uh, beginning of Saturday night and even the Friday night. You know, the Rising Stars contest is, is typically one that I like to skip out on <laughs> because, A, the, the level of the play is very low, you know, when it's the full games. But I liked how they did it this year, where it was too many games – both like like a like a round robin tournament almost like both teams you know there's a semifinal and then a final you know and that's three games worth of of, of rising stars and you play to a set score 50 elam ending elam endings are perfect for me uh you know there there there's 95 97 percent of basketball is played with a target score in mind you play at the rec you play outside at the park your whole life coming up you know, playing basketball, you play to, to reach a score, whether it be 12, 15, 20, 21, whatever it is, there's something tangible you can touch about that. It makes the intensity higher as the score gets tighter. Anyone who's hooped will know this. So seeing it incorporated at the highest level in a all-star event where you're not trying to hurt anyone, not trying to go full 100% speed the whole time, it is nice to see like basically a pickup game at the highest level. So to see that on the Rising Stars side is cool. I like the recreating of the some of the greatest shots contests with, uh, I think it was Gideon, Mobley, Scotty Barnes and Tyrese, Maxi, and uh, I forgot who ended up winning, Bain and Halliburton. You know, that was cool too. Um, so, so I liked what they did, man. I, I really like the little wrinkles the NBA makes. They don't seem too rigid about tradition with some of these events, these are all-star games, you know, times evolve, fans evolve. We, we want to be entertained during all-star weekend, you know, so shout out to them for that. And of course, Sunday night, the game itself, um, me being a historian of the game and someone who really likes to deep dive into previous eras as a, like, and can compare and contrast it to the era I grew up watching and am growing up watching. I love to see the uh, NBA 75 list, as many of them who could be in attendance. 
um, be there. I love the current players showing their reverence, paying their homage to the guys who paved the way for them to even do what they do. Um, you know, there's that picture going around Twitter where it's all the Lakers, it's Jerry West, it's it's uh, James Worthy, it's Magic, it's it's LeBron is in there, it's Shaq is in there, uh, and they leave a spot for you know Kobe, rest in peace. Um, I I thought that was great, and and just like you hear Steph Curry talk, you hear Devin Booker talk, you hear Ja talk about like. You could feel greatness in the room. You could feel the aura shift whenever you walked into that that setting. So I, I always think it's really cool for for young guys to to kind of pay their respects and give people their flowers in the flesh. And you could just see there was so much being poured into them that that day, that weekend. That I thought was really cool, man. So shout out to the NBA for that. And then the game itself, obviously, Steph went nuts, 50 points, hit 16 threes. He's turning around on shots from half court. He's turning around from shots in the corner. He's hitting 20-foot-high floaters over Joel Embiid. Uh, it, he did great. LeBron, obviously, game winner. Cleveland, this is for you. You know, uh, a couple of African kids ended up stealing the show in Cleveland. You know, I thought that was really cool. And then I always, I always like to pay homage to the uh, the guys who made it their first time. You know, DeJounte Murray, it was cool to see him. Ja, obviously, he'll be a staple in this thing for years. Um, Fred Van Vliet, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, the hometown kids. They show, they seem to have a lot of fun this weekend, and they really took took it like, hey, man, I've really achieved something here. And, you know, it's not all I want to do, but it is a big step. So it was really cool to see that, man. But uh, – just to wrap it on the all-star stuff, man, it was a great event, bar the dunk contest. Um, and yeah, man, let, let, let's get into these storylines for the second, the second stint of the NBA season. All right. So we're going to start with the Western conference today for me. Typically this has been the dominant conference, um, in years past, in many years past, probably last decade or so, last 15 years. Uh, this year it has not been, however, uh, there's been two really, really good teams. And, and to be honest with you, one team has been even better than the second really, really good team, and that is the Phoenix Suns. And that's where we're going to start. Uh, going into the break, they won 18 of their last 19 games. Um, and it seems like they cruise, man. They they can win on the road. They can win at home. They can, they can play – in a close game, they can blow you out. And and the thing for me that sticks out with Phoenix is when it is a close game and it is time to execute, they have probably the most maniacal get everything out of every possession player we've seen in a very, very long time in this league. And Chris Paul, he's a guy who can squeeze the juice out of every possession. You know, he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball over. Oh, you're playing the drop coverage? Cool. I'm just going to snake this pick and roll, get to the elbow, shoot my mid-range pull-up. Oh, okay, you're going to trap me? That's fine. I'll set the screen with uh, a Jay Crowder or a Mikael Bridges, someone who can play make and make the next play. Not to say that Aiden can't, but I'm going to keep Aiden in that dunker spot and make you have to really make a choice as the big man. Do you step up and take Crowder or Bridges driving at you, or do you sit back and guard the lob? You know, oh, 
you're 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 playing the pick and roll with a hedge. I'm just gonna go ahead and kick it over to Booker, and now he can attack a one on one closeout um, with the best of them. You know, so they have a guy who who knows how to pull all the strings. And for me, it's gonna be interesting to see how they do without that, especially in close games going down the stretch, where you know teams in the playing area are vying to to, to better their seating where teams in the 4-5 area are trying to jockey and stay where they are, and where teams who, frankly, are like 11th and 12th in their conference are trying to play hard to try and get into the playing for their franchise. You know, Chris Paul, the news that came out right before the All-Star break, he's going to be out for maybe anywhere from six to eight weeks, which would put it right at the deadline of the end of the regular season. And not to say that Phoenix can't win without him. Of course, if they can, they're a great team, but I just want to see if they drop down any in level, if if the burden on Booker to be a playmaker all of a sudden takes a lot more out of his legs and he's not as fresh as he could be going into a playoffs um, where they might see a team like the Lakers in the first round. And I mean, not to say that we're any good, but a healthy LeBron, a healthy AD is a dangerous proposition for anyone, you know. Um, so I, I just want to see what the trickle-down effect is to Chris Paul being out for an extended period of time. Is it a good thing? Is it, okay, campaign, you get more reps with the starters. So if Chris Paul ever gets foul trouble in a game, boom, you know what this looks like. Uh, Alfred Payton, maybe you start, and we keep our defensive intensity high um, and keep campaign off the bench as a spark plug. Is it a guy like Aaron Holiday who they just acquired uh, before the deadline who was like, hey, man. Let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. We didn't pick you up for no reason. Um, I want to see what that looks like with Aiton. Does he get more touches in the post now? Obviously, the answer should be yes. Um, but it also doesn't seem like that's the type of team they want to be. They want to be a high pick and roll, execute, get four on threes, three on twos on the backside type of team. Uh, so it is going to be interesting to see that. Um, and then... The next question I had about the Suns is basically, are they far and away the best team in the West, and are we just missing a, a juggernaut in plain sight here? You know, you think of, like, some of the tough matchups they might face. Golden State is the one that comes to mind, obviously. Well, the Suns have a, a, a lineup that if you want to stay big and punish when Golden State goes small, you can do that because Aiden has shown last year in the playoffs he is very capable punishing switches to where you can't switch anymore he did it to us in the first round last year he killed some of the nugget switches and and the way they were guarding their pick and roll uh, against the clippers you know he obviously had the eight nuke in game two and and he was very good on the on the glass in that series and then in the finals he was doing good until you know Giannis turned up a, a level that 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 we didn't know he had at the time you know um if they do choose to downsize and match Golden State's strength for strength, they can do that as well, at least in terms of lineup construction. You can run a, a lineup of uh, Paul, Booker, Bridges, Crowder, and they just acquired Torrey Craig, a guy who can guard the perimeter and, and, and rebound well for his position. If you don't like Torrey Craig because you think it's the shooting, he takes too much offense of shooting away from the table, throw in Cam Johnson in his spot. Oh, Jay Crowder's not having a good game. All right, we'll go super small. We'll run Booker at the three. We'll have Payne and Paul out there. Because 
the the key to it, at least in my opinion, is is keeping an elite defender on Curry and a very, very good one on Clay. Um, and you would always have that on the court, at least in my opinion, uh, with Bridges and Crowder or Bridges and Paul or even Booker has shown he he's he's been willing to take the challenge um, of guarding these guys. So I think Golden State would be the toughest matchup for me, but I look down the Western Conference and I don't see a team that has a matchup nightmare for them. You want to tell me Memphis, they do have the players to throw at um, at uh, Aiton and, and Booker and Paul. They got like Desmond Bain for Booker. Jaron Jackson can match up with Aiden or Steven Adams can match up with Aiden. DeAnthony Melton could take his turns on Chris Paul. That's fine. I just think if those three guys don't have great offensive nights, Phoenix will take the trade off and say, hey, we got more depth than you do in big moments. I know Memphis' claim to fame has been depth and how deep their team is, but I would just say in the playoffs, we haven't quite seen it yet from those type of guys. If you want to tell me the Mavs, obviously Lucas scares the hell out of any team, as he should. He's one of the top six, seven players in the league. Um, I have the, the, the privilege of getting to watch him a lot, you know, getting to live in the DFW area and going to a lot of games like I do. But I think the trading of Porzingis is actually going to lower their ceiling uh, when they are playing the top teams. Now, if you want to tell me Bertans and Dinwiddie fit a little better, um, a little less ego about getting touches where they want them and, and, and being the second star. I hear that. But I would also think KP is just as flawed as he has been and as underwhelming he's been since he's been with the Mavs. This year he was having a great season. And a 7-3 guy is just going to propose some sort of some sort of matchup issues regardless of if he's playing well or not. Um so I think that's I think that's a little bit short. Um, Utah, no chance. We'll talk about them later. Um, but yeah, man, this is just a well-oiled machine, and 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 I would, just the question I pose to you guys is: Are we just missing a, a juggernaut here in plain sight? Chris Paul this year, fifteen points, eleven assists, five rebounds. He's shooting fifty-four percent on two-point jump shots. Uh, you look at Booker, Mr. Consistent, 25 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. Um, improved defense this season. And, uh, yeah, man, that I, I think the only question that I have on them is the Chris Paul injury. He's got a tendency to be injured as the season stretch goes on anyway or run out of gas as the season goes along. Uh, I just want to see what their mojo looks like without their leader. Um, going down the stretch. So that's very fascinating for me. And then the next storyline I want to talk in the West is the Utah Jazz. Um, right before the break, they had played the Lakers. Um, my crappy Lakers this season. <laughs> Had a lot go wrong with our season, but this isn't about us. This isn't about us. This is about the Jazz. Um, they played us on the Wednesday, I believe it was, primetime game. Aaron Donald in the building. They were up 12 in the fourth quarter with about six minutes left, seven minutes left, and choked. Um, we ran LeBron at center, put in guys like Austin Reeves, Taylor Horton Tucker, Russell Westbrook, Malik Monk um, when AD went down with his injury. And we were able to do what so many teams have done before and what teams seem like they just know if there's ever a big game that we need to win or ever a tough playoff game, 
we'll downsize, and we don't trust your perimeter players to stay in front of ours, which then in turn makes Rudy Gobert have to rotate. And it's not like when you have a five where Rudy can rotate from the outside of the free throw line area to the restricted area and then get back to his guy. With the extra small on the court, now Rudy is rotating from the corner all the way to the paint. And if he doesn't get there in time, it's a layup. And if he does, it's a spray-out pass. And we trust our guys to hit enough of those shots to where you have to break. And that's what happened, man. LeBron was great in that fourth quarter, obviously. He turned the game over, turned the game up. And, you know, the argument for Utah fans could be, well, we're not going to see LeBron at center quite as much in the playoffs. We might not see it at all. We might not see a guy that caliber. And while that is fair... I look at a team like Golden State where Draymond plays the five. And now Draymond's not no great shooter, but he's such a smart player to where you sag off him, he's flowing right into a dribble handoff. He makes any bit of contact on a screen. All of a sudden, Rudy's in the paint. And that's Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole coming off a pin down or coming off a dribble handoff with, with five feet of space to, to, to rise and fire a three. I look at a guy like, uh, or I look at a team like Memphis where they wouldn't be downsizing because Jaron Jackson's still a seven-footer, but they would be getting more spacing on the floor, playing him at five, taking Adams off for another guard. And then all of a sudden, we trust John Morant to drive into the paint because Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, these guys can't stay in front of their guys. And we trust Ja to either finish up the basket, make the right play for another, or hit Jaron Jackson on the pop. And all of a sudden, these are these are practice type shots you're getting in playoff type games. You know what I mean? The Mavs. We've seen what Luca's done to Ivisa Zubac the past two uh, playoff series he's played against the Clippers. Uh, yeah, he would do the same to Rudy Gobert. Um, so. For me, I think the biggest question that needs to be addressed for them is, is this a blow-up, blow-it-up season if they do not win a playoff series, let's say? Right now, they are, I believe, in fifth and close to sixth in the Western Conference. I think they're kind of sandwiched in between Dallas and Denver, um, if I'm not mistaken, which would ultimately, at this point, Grant you a first-round series with Luka, which nobody wants. And then let's just say you get by that somehow. Then you you face the Suns and a team who kills drop coverages and a team who's historically had your number since they've gotten Chris Paul. I think they've won their last six against Utah uh, in the regular season. So for me, it's it's one of those where it's like, is it a blow-it-up season? Does Donovan Mitchell say, look, man, I, I love the organization. I love what you guys did for me, but I can't I can't play here anymore. I can't play here anymore and and continue to lose because you guys won't put perimeter defenders around me or because my center is not flexible enough to guard on the perimeter in a perimeter game. It's interesting to see. And my center isn't dominant enough offensively to punish other teams for going small. You know, it's not like Aiton's a great defender on the perimeter um, when teams go small against them. He does okay, but teams don't go small because DeAndre Aiton will get 20 points on 10 layups. 
And and that's the difference. Rudy Gobert seems to not get those. I don't know if it's because he can't. I don't know if it's because his team doesn't think he can and they don't feed him, whatever it seems to be. Screen assists, the, the thing that Rudy Gobert fans claim to and Jazz fans claim to, that those seem to go away in the playoffs when everyone's switching, you know? So it, it, it's, it's, it's a fatal flaw for me for a really good team in, in, in the big games, you know? They're sliding down the standings. And this is despite them having the number one offensive rating in the league. They're at 116 points per possession. And it's it's just, you know, the two best players are playing well still. Mitchell's at 26 points, four rebounds, five assists. Um, Gobert is averaging 16 points, 15 rebounds, two blocks on 70% shooting. So statistically, the numbers are there, and he's having an incredible year. It just seems like every time you watch these guys in a high-leverage game, where a team downsizes and makes their perimeter players have to defend one-on-one, and it makes Rudy Gobert have to close from the corner instead of the dunker spot, it seems like they have no sort of antidote. And and it almost seems like them knowing they can't stop that affects their offense. Their high-powered first-in-the-league offense seems to really bog down when they know they can't get defensive stops. Um, but that that's an interesting thing for me, you know, like they have a new ownership group there. They have a new GM and Danny Ainge. Um, obviously, you wouldn't want to move off of Mitchell, but who who's trading for a, a 30, a max center who is not Joel Embiid or Nicole Jokic or Carl Anthony Towns? Um, you know, like I, it, obviously people would trade for Rudy Gobert. That's not what I'm saying, but it just feels like this thing could get really ugly really quickly in Utah if they don't corrected if they don't show a sort of fight uh towards the end of the season and and win a playoff series or two to be honest with you it like the first round exit if that happens the five alarm fire might go off in there you know they have the fifth toughest schedule remaining in the league so it's not going to be easy they've tried some experimenting with like rudy gay at the five and Eric Pascoe at the five, and those lineups haven't been good. You have Joe Ingles out for the year now, and you bring in, like, a Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Good player, but I don't know if he helps your problem of perimeter defense in the playoffs. So, for me, this team has been drawn dead for a while. Um, I think they're going to draw again, draw dead again this year. I, I really hope that the Mavs match up with them. I go to a playoff game or two and, and watch Luka cook them. Um, but but it is an interesting thing for me to see, like, how aggressive is management in saying, okay, we can't just keep standing pat. This is four years in a row now where we fizzled out. Um, so for me, that's the other interesting storyline in the West. And after this break, we will get to the East. So as we move to the Eastern Conference, which this year has been the Beastern Conference, they've they've been great, man. Um, uh, let me read you the, the the standings as of today. First in the East, tied with second in the East, but they had the tiebreaker. The Miami Heat, thirty-eight and twenty-one. Chicago Bulls, thirty-eight and twenty-one in second. Third and fourth also have the same record, uh, thirty-five and twenty-three between the Seventy Sixers and the Cavs. The Bucks are thirty-six and twenty-four, so they're the same amount of games back as the three and four seed, but they've played two more games than those guys. Um, the Celtics 
who have made a very, very strong run as of late leading into the break. 34 and 26. Uh, the Raptors are right behind them. 32 and 25. Then at 8th, 9th, and 10th, which would be the um, the final play-in spots, you have the Nets at 31 and 28. Who knows what happens with them, with the Simmons trade, with this mandate maybe being revoked in New York. Uh, the ninth seed, the Charlotte Hornets, 29 and 31 on a bit of a skid. And they are tied in terms of, you know, games back with the Atlanta Hawks in 10th or 28 and 30th. So for me... The, the storyline here is just, obviously, it's a kind of a cop-out answer, but I think the, the, the fascinating thing for me is is what these standings look like at the end of the season going into the playoffs. What matchups are fatal for some and what matchups are beneficial for some? So as I look here, let's start with the top two teams, the Heat and the Bulls, right? Both teams ravished by injuries. The Heat, I'll start with them. I thought they were one of those teams that were going to kind of play it slow and say, hey, veteran guys, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker, uh, playoff-proven guys, you know, who, who are still younger but still playoff-proven, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero. These guys have been through the wars. These guys know what it's like to go deep in series. We're going to play it slow, slow play the season, make sure everyone stays healthy, and be a dangerous threat to anyone in the East in a seven-game series. They have not stayed healthy and not played it slow either. Uh, they've gotten great contributions from guys like Max Strews, Gabe Vincent, um, and they're standing atop the Eastern Conference at the moment. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, same thing. DeMar DeRozan looking like the free agent move of the summer. Uh, he's on a crazy stretch right now where he's like scoring 30 points per game on 50% or better shooting. I think it's been like 10 straight games or something something mad like that. Like there's a list where it's just him and Wilt, and that's the list. Like it's one of those type of feats. Um, they've been damaged by injuries as well. Caruso, Lonzo, they've missed a lot of time. They got contributions from guys like Io DeSumo, their rookie that they drafted. Um, Nick Vucevic has been better. Zach Levine has gotten hurt for a stretch. He's been good while he's played. It's just there's just been contribution all up and down the roster, and and, and they have been led obviously by Demar Derozan, uh, who who probably is going to be on a lot of people's MVP ballots, um, somewhere in that top five. So those two teams for me, I don't see a a cat like a, a catastrophe in terms of matchup for the Heat. I think they can roll into anywhere and beat whoever. Just the toughness, the grit, the shooting they have. The Bulls, I think they would want to stay away from Philly, if at all possible, because as good as Vucevic has been, uh, Joel Embiid probably rolls them for 32 a night, 34 a night in a playoff series. And Matisse Thibel could at least make life tough on DeRozan or Levine. Uh, the same with a, a James Harden. They don't have like that go-to defensive stopper, I would say. Uh, Caruso and Lonzo will do a good job on Harden for sure. Um, and the other would guard Maxi, So that would actually be fun. But I, I don't think that uh, either of those guys had the like strength to keep James Harden off of his spots. And that's coming from a Laker fan who saw Caruso do a really good job on Harden um, in that finals run that we made. But I would also say 
we had Anthony Davis behind, uh, behind to clean up any mistakes, and the Bulls do not have an Anthony Davis behind. So for me, that would be the one matchup I would say the Bulls would want to steer clear of. Uh, the Sixers and the Cavs, man, both of these stories have been really good in different ways. Uh, the Sixers not having Simmons play a single game and just have Joel Embiid go into this MVP form, which if the season ended today, he'd be first or second uh, for me in terms of MVP. So to see, you know, stars just taking the old school approach, it's like, hey, man, I don't care who you got. I'm on the team, so we're going to be good. I-, I love to see that in the league. I love to see guys take that type of stuff uh, personally. Um, and then the Cavs, like, how could you not love the Cavs? They're one of the most feel-good stories uh, of this season, you know. They, they they play hard. They play unconventional. They're free-flowing. They go on avalanches where they're on, like, a 16-0 run because no one can get a shot up against Mobley and, 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 and Jared Allen and Isaac Okoro. These guys are stifling defensively when they want to be. Um, those two teams play each other three more times um, in these final 25 or so games. So that's going to be interesting to see for me. Um, and then they are both tied with the Bucks in terms of two and a half games back of first. And the Bucks are the, the, the one for me. They have the hardest strength of schedule remaining uh, in the Eastern Conference. And they haven't really clicked it into the gear that I would have thought this year. Defending champs relatively healthy. I know they've missed Brook Lopez from the beginning. I know they've had guys in and out of the lineup, but in terms of those top four teams I just mentioned, they don't want to hear about who's healthy and who's not because the Bucks, compared to them have been a lot more, uh, a lot more healthy than the, the teams I've named before. So for me, it's going to be interesting to see if Giannis just goes up another level and says, Hey, I want home court. Like, so I'm going to go get it because I'm Giannis. Or if they're pacing themselves and they're just like, let's just make sure we can get everybody whole by the time the playoffs come around and we feel home or road, we can beat anyone. And that's the attitude they should have because they absolutely can. Um, so that'll be interesting. They, like the Heat, I feel like don't have a matchup they don't want to see. Especially given the the confidence to know that they can win a championship. They just won one last season. Um, Celtics, Raptors, Nets, Hawks, Hornets, I kind of bundle these teams all into one with the Nets obviously being the wild card. I do think the Hawks will pass the Hornets in the standings. They got the fifth easiest schedule remaining in the league, um, as opposed to the Hornets who have been on a tailspin and their schedule is quite harder, uh, compared to the Hawks. And when you ask me player for player, like, who do I trust to, to win the high leverage games? I trust Trey over anyone on that Hornets team. And that's not a knock. You know, I love watching the Hornets play. I think they've improved quite a bit. But but the, the, the numbers are staggering when you look at when they have Hayward playing as opposed to when Hayward is not. Their win percentage plummets. By just removing that guy, he's not the best player on their team. He's not the second best player on their team. But he knows how to kind of tie all the loose ends together that equate to wins, you know. So... For me, that's going to be another interesting thing um, is, is the play-in jockeying kind of right now. It would be Raptors versus Nets in the first first play-in game for the seventh seed. And then the Hawks versus the Hornets. And the winner of that would play the loser of the Raptors-Nets. 
as of current. Obviously, that's going to change up, but you know there there is a, something to be said in having a guy, a Trey Young guy, All NBA type of player, um, when you need wins down the stretch. And for me, like the Raptors, as good as they've been. They have the seventh easiest schedule remaining, yes, but they have taxed those guys a lot of minutes. The Gary Trents, the Fred Van Vliet, the Siakams, the Scotty Barnes as a rookie. They have played a lot of minutes this year um, in order to stay good and stay relevant. So for me, was the break like one of those, oh, much needed. We got to cool down. We got to relax. Let's kick it back into the gear that we were in for the second stretch. Or is it one of those It's like, man, I don't know how much left I have to give playing as hard as I do, playing as many minutes as I do. Um, So that's going to be interesting for me. And then the last part of the Eastern Conference that I want to touch on, and and I want this one to be more interactive. I'll obviously post links to this on my Twitter. Um, But I do want to know what you guys think about who truly won the Simmons, Harden, Philly, Brooklyn trade. You know, if if you don't remember, uh, Brooklyn acquires Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, two first-round picks in exchange for James Harden and Paul Millsap. Now, you look at it as a Philly optimist. You say, well, now we have two of the top, I don't know, 15 players in the league, two of the top 12 players in the league uh, with Embiid and Harden, and we retain enough shooting, guys like Maxi, guys like Tobias, Danny Green, um, we, we, we have enough shooting around a cork mox maybe um, to where we didn't lose too much spacing and we had this dynamic duo who can run stuff, pick and roll stuff, both draw a lot of fouls, which is helpful in playoff settings. Um, or you could look at it uh, from the Brooklyn perspective and say, well, how do we know that that fits? Like James Harden is notoriously a guy who doesn't do anything when he doesn't have the ball. How does that fit alongside a guy like Joel Embiid who's going to be posting up and needs as much space as required? Is James Harden just going to stand at half court and throw the ball in the post and just let his defender be a help man? And by the time Joel kicks it out, he's not in a position to shoot because he's just kind of sulking. Joel Embiid is not really a roll all the way to the basket type of guy. Now, is that because he's never had a dynamic point guard who could score off a pick and roll? Maybe. But he's always more the guy who's like, I would rather pop or I would rather short roll to the free throw line and Harden, not to say that that can't work, um, but Harden's used to the Nick Claxton's, the Clint Capella's, the, the throw it up to the rim, go get it type of guys where he can make it deceiving for that big guarding. Am I shooting this floater or am I lobbing it? It's definitely going to be a different look and it's going to take a lot of reps to kind of iron out that chemistry, which it doesn't seem like they'll get a lot of reps because James Harden is out still with this hamstring injury. Um, and then if you look at the other side of it, what 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 does it look like in Brooklyn when Simmons comes back with Kyrie? I think that'll be fine because Simmons is slotted into the tertiary role on the team, obviously, and can just focus on being a great defender and tying up the little loose ends that connect uh, Kyrie and KD to the rest of the team. He can get out in transition with Seth Curry still. Um, transition lanes will be more open now when you have KD on your team, when you have Kyrie flanking you, Seth Curry. Um, and in, in, a, in a perfect world, he can play your small ball five 
when you're playing a team like a Milwaukee, for example, or you're playing a team like a Chicago, he can downsize at your five and you don't lose much defensively um, that you were losing when you had like guys like Claxton or or uh, Paul Millsap out there, you know? So for me, I, I personally think long-term Brooklyn is going to be the beneficiary of this trade bad the bad like James Harden vibe is kind of out of there but I would also say if Philly figures it out and gets it right they won for the next two seasons and if you they can win a championship in the next two seasons before things you know change financially and with the salary cap and the extensions and all that then I think they would take that 100 times out of 100 um, but you guys let me know what you think, man. What does Tobias Harris's role look like? Is he just converted to a spot-up shooter, which, you know, he's not bad at, but that's not really his game. What does it look like? Uh, what does Brooklyn's closing lineup look like? Is it too small? Now that it looks like Joe Harris might miss even more time or might be off of the season. Ah, Lord, I hope we get a playoff series with these two teams, man, because the drama and the theater and that would be absolutely incredible. But, yeah, without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it here, you guys. I appreciate y'all sticking with me. Uh, I've had a long hiatus again. I'm not proud of that, but, you know, I've been making moves. been working really, really hard, um, trying, to get, trying to get stuff together, trying to get stuff right. But I do owe it to myself, and I do owe it to you guys who have been with me to put content out a little more frequently. So that's what we're going to be trying to do in my second half of the NBA season. So thank you all so much. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast if you're new. Share it with a friend if you're new and you enjoyed it. I appreciate you all as always.